Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the Authors on Fire podcast. I am Pat Rulo with a Firebird Book Award winning author to share with you today, Arthur Bird. And the winning book is titled Crossing Lake Pontchartrain. Arthur has been a college high school English teacher, a technology CEO, and a real estate agent in the Dominican Republic selling beachfront property. And he even did a few HGTV shows but now he is following his lifelong dream of writing Southern fiction novels. What a pleasure to share him with you today. I know we have lots of fun things to talk about. Welcome to the network, Arthur. Well, thank you, Pat. So happy you're here. Selling beachfront property just sounds like such a difficult job. Actually, it was fabulous. Oh, I know. I, uh, I, I was CEO of a company that I sold, and when we... Cashed out the company, I had to stick around to the new company for a few months. And then my wife and I looked around and said, well, what are we going to do? Do I want another job or do we want to just take some time off? So we took some time off <laughs> and moved to the Dominican Republic where my son actually took his senior year of high school. And after a few months, we got bored and met a guy that said, hey, why don't you two come work for me? And that's how it started. Oh, I love organic journeys like that. That is so, so neat. Not anything you ever planned. I saw some pictures on your website. It just looks absolutely lovely. Oh, it's it's really terrific. So now I split my time between the DR and New Jersey here, so I can't complain. No, you can't. Did you enjoy real estate? You know, what I enjoyed was the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, selling real estate was fun. It was business. I've done business for so many years. But all of our clients came uh, through the Internet from somewhere else, so people that were going to visit the island. And they would come from England or Canada or Italy or Argentina or wherever they might come from. And we would get to know them a little bit via email and phone conversations before they arrived. And so when they arrived, they were a little bit of a friend of ours, and then we got to show them the island, and we we thought of ourselves as emissaries Mm -hmm. for the north coast of the DR, Mm -hmm. and it was really fun, so I enjoyed that. Oh, that's kind of like what you and I were talking about right before we went on air here, is that even an interview like this, I don't know you and you don't know me, but after just a little back and forth, we end up feeling like we're friends. So it was similar with you in the real estate industry. Exactly. And we felt like we were helping them. And there are some shysters down there. So Sally and I, we really wanted to be, you know, people mm-hmm. of integrity. Mm-hmm. And even though we talked ourselves out of many sales, because We just wouldn't take people to areas they shouldn't be. We enjoyed the feeling of really trying to do the right thing for people. Oh, you are a good human. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Come on, just take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend. Well, listen, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Award. I was so happy to share that with you. That really made my day. I have to tell you, I've worked in in silence and seclusion for so long to finally have someone ping back to me is like felt really good. No, I get that. I get that. It's a very lonely 
endeavor. Now, before we snag a peek into your book, often the setting of a book becomes the character. And, and I felt that way with your book. So why post-Katrina New Orleans? Well, that was very deliberate. And uh, the reason was is Katrina was so devastating. I was born and raised in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And spent a lot of time in, in Louisiana and fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. All of that was my childhood. And so Katrina was devastating to, to both Mississippi and to New Orleans, of course. And so the parallel between what was happening in New Orleans and what was happening with my main character, Larry Winstead, is what I wanted to draw. I had read the book, uh, My Brilliant my brilliant friend by Elena Farina. And, you know, her setting in Naples, Italy, was so potent and powerful that it really kind of inspired me to take on that mission in using New Orleans in the same way, where it's renewing itself in the same way that this character needed to renew himself. Mm-hmm. You know, as I think about the setting of a book. Some, in some books, it's just the, a place. But as I mentioned just a moment ago, in, in some books, it actually becomes the book. It becomes a very vivid character. Was that hard to do? Was that hard to portray? It's tricky because there's so many details and side streets that you can wander down that don't really take you anywhere. And I'm sure that in the weeding process, I had to get rid of quite a number of those, but I really wanted to draw attention to the revival aspect of what New Orleans had to go through after Katrina, Mm -hmm. and also to its people and its artwork and its throb of creativity that they have in that city. So those are the themes that I really tried to touch on, and sprinkled through the book is all different kinds of artwork. There's an iron sculpture and there are painters and there are musicians and there are chefs. There's all kinds of different ways of creating and I tried to touch on those as part of the thematic development of how this character would evolve and change over time. And it helps that you were born and raised in the Deep South just because you grew up with that flavor. Oh, absolutely. A lot of those things that I put in the book uh, I drew upon from my own childhood and spending time with my dad. He had a fish camp down on the, the Gulf Coast in Mississippi, and we would go down there every weekend. And he had all these shrimper friends, and they would cook and tell stories. Mm-hmm. And the food they made was just astonishing. And so a lot of that I just transported <laughs> into the book. And I've had people ask me if Roy's Po'boys was a real restaurant. I said... Sadly, no. It's completely made up, but it it represents a lot of what I've actually experienced in my life. Oh, I love that. Such a colorful childhood you had. It was. My dad was was quite a a sportsman. He loved to fish and hunt and just be in nature. My mother was quite a gardener, Mm. and so I grew up digging holes and planting rose bushes my entire life, and so I tried to draw on those natural aspects as as well as a lot of the the human development aspects that are also important to me, and I guess is what drew me originally to teaching in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yes, I get that. 
So maybe give us a peek into the book. Uh, what can our listeners expect when they open up your Crossing Lake Pontchartrain book? Well, the main character, Larry Winstead, in the beginning of the book, has made quite a muck out of his life. He's unemployed. His uh, marriage is failing. He's in the stages of developing some kind of an issue with alcohol. And he's just pretty bleak. He lives in his hometown where he's been his whole life. And he's 40 years old, and he looks at the future and doesn't see much. And he looks at the past, and what he sees is that his father disappeared mysteriously, and Larry had to give up on his dream of writing in college, and he just feels like his life has is, is come to a, a dead end. And then, and really what I worked on to, in the book to try to pull forward was that he didn't pull himself out of this alone. It took people. It took his mother, who was really loyal and doting, but it took a lot of new strangers that he meets, particularly in New Orleans, that helped sort of knock away the crazy wrong thinking he's been doing his whole life and help him discover himself, who he really is, and the person he really wants to be. Where did this come from? You know, I, I really don't know where that particular character came from, but my first book I wrote about a family trying to put itself back together. It's multi-generational and how each of those levels of teenager, middle age and, and senior citizen are confronting the vagaries of time. This book I wanted to be about how an individual puts himself back together after personally wrecking his own life and then being finding the responsibility to heal his life and using the potency of human connection to do that. Mm -hmm. So it was just sort of a narrowing down, in my mind, of the thematic, you know, issue of how do you put things back together after they fall apart. Mm -hmm. And you say in a recent blog post, I read most of your blog posts and absolutely loved each and every one, but I think it might have been the most recent one where you said, this story is more than words on paper. It reflects life's profound complexities and the themes that shape our existence. Well, yeah, sometimes I get a little too full of myself, maybe. <laughs> but this is what I tried to do when I was an English teacher back a thousand years ago, both at the college and the high school level was. And I, I told every one of my classes the very first day, this is a class in life. And as we went through learning to write and reading literature and sort of discussing it, I wanted to always have them in their own minds take it back to their lives. What in this book shows you something about the way you have lived or maybe the way you want to live and about the relationships you have and, you know, how they've developed and how they might develop. And so that's really been a, a fulcrum of thought for me all the way through my teaching and writing career. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet your students just loved you in your class. Well, some loved me, some hated me. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty tough on them. But my classes usually closed out within about five minutes of signing. No, I'm sure. And you, you say they hated you, and they might have at the moment. Um, but, but, but 
I, I think your approach might have been something that they would appreciate later on and, and maybe even regret it that, shoot, I should have, you know, been more uh, immersed in that class. You know, it's really funny because I went to my 50th high school reunion over the summer in July. And while I was down there, I was completely blown away by all the people that I hadn't seen in 30 years. And <laughs> that was really fun. But I got a phone call while I was in town. And it was from a student that I'd had when I was a student teacher back in 1974. And he just called me. He lives in Costa Rica and he, he just, he was in town and he called me just to say hi. And he said, you know, I just want you to know that you're the only person that ever spoke to me like I was someone important. And it's like, God, it just made my whole day. And, you know, even to this day, I get emails and stuff from students that I taught 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a girl contacted me last year and said, you know, I'm a successful lawyer now and blah, blah, blah. And, but when I was in high school, I wasn't very popular. I didn't, no one really liked me. I didn't believe in myself, but you helped me believe in myself. And I used to use journal writing for students for them to find themselves and find things about themselves that they liked. And we just had a dialogue through that journal. Like I say, this was 40 years ago in Oklahoma. But teaching for me was was really a, a, a mission. It wasn't just something I was doing. I really felt sincerely called to that profession and loved it. And the only reason I left it because was because I just couldn't afford to stay. I was a single parent. I remember driving down the street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in a in a sleet storm one day, and the sleet was sloshing up between my legs from the rusted out floorboard of my truck. And I just looked at my life and said, well, I have to change. And guess what? One of my students' mother tracked me down when I quit teaching and moved back to Mississippi. She tracked me down and made me come back to Tulsa and interview for a job with AT&T, which I did and got the job. And AT&T eventually relocated me to New Jersey, where I found the love of my oh. life, Sally, who is now my wife for almost 40 years. I've just got tingles and goosebumps. You are amazing. And you know, when I just said to you, your students must have loved you, I did not say that lightly I, because I could tell that you're this kind of a person just from the few moments we've had together. Oh, I love everything you said. It's just beautiful. Wow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what a story. Okay, let me bring myself back here. Character development. Let's talk about Larry. Was it easy for you to make him relatable? How how was it for you to write him, or did he write himself? Uh, yeah, he was fairly easy for me to write, to be honest with you, because a lot of it was kind of my own knuckleheaded life, where I just was not that <laughs> not that aware of my own behavior, or, or or not sensitive to how my own behavior affected other people and and over time how I learned to adjust that and I really wanted Larry to be lost in the beginning and there's one line that's later in the in the book when he's met some of these people in New Orleans and really started you know seeing himself for who he truly is as a human being and he goes to see this 
one of the frenzies men. She happens to be like a hobbyist clairvoyant. And she's not there, but she leaves him a, fo- a phone message that says, Hey, are you unlost yet? Ooh. And, and that was really kind of what I was working on. Here's a guy going from lost to being unlost mm-hmm. and using the potency of, of human relationships to really release what he needed to see about it the person he wanted to be. And, and, you know, that is very relatable because I think most people who are feeling lost, and I think we all have at some point in our lives, almost the last thing you would think of would be reaching out to others or strangers or or, or accepting that kind of that help or relationships. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I was mindful of that as I was writing and so almost all of the new characters that he meets along the way are by accident. Mm-hmm. He happens to just walk into this this shop, you know, in New Orleans and meets this clairvoyant. Uh, the yoga instructor he meets that becomes the, his love interest in the story is, a, a, a you know, a waiter in a restaurant. Uh, he stumbles into a an art studio that's filled with this beautiful iron sculpture. And that guy turns out to be a very meaningful person for him in terms of understanding how artists think, how artists behave, and how artists help each other. And so a lot of, a lot of you know, happenstance in his life happens, but he has the smarts mm-hmm. and he may be a little clueless sometimes. But he's smart enough to know that when he sees something important, something catalytic, that he knows how to seize upon it. Mm-hmm. Knows how to recognize that and uh, let it in. Which, again, I think when people are feeling lost, they're they're not open to those kind of things. So I think just the, these underlying themes in your book can really be quite helpful to the reader. Yeah, and I, I wanted him to be. In the beginning, unemployed, though he does get a job, which is what takes him to New Orleans, I wanted him to have to be uh, in a collapsing relationship, though later in the book he finds a meaningful relationship and a mutually creative relationship where he inspires his love interest, sort of lost will to paint, and she helps guide and direct his thinking about the novel that he writes. He had never even thought about writing a novel about a dystopian future with AI and all these kinds of things. But she helps him bring that out of the chaos of his mind and, you know, shed a lot of the old thinking about the novel he's been working on for 20 years. And, you know, so I wanted the the creative process to be inspired by the human connections Mm -hmm. that he makes in the book, and particularly in New Orleans. And so that tension between the creative process and all these new individuals that he's meeting really are what foster the energy of the book. Yes. Wow. You mentioned art several times. Why does that play a role in your life and in this book? Well, I I think I, I saw it as a healing influence. Because artists very often are different people. 
perhaps rejected in many respects in their life, and yet there's a camaraderie amongst artists, whether they're, uh, you know, someone that's really great at cooking or someone that's a painter or someone that's a musician. It doesn't really matter that that artistic, creative spirit that people have is a a bond. You know, it's almost like uh, strings of energy that link into each other. And these form not only relationships, but very often mutually creative opportunities. And that's what happens between Larry and the yoga instructor, Emma, is they have this mutually creative link that becomes a deep personal relationship. And I think I read somewhere where you mentioned the power of art as a catalyst for personal growth. I read that somewhere on your on your site, and I thought that was quite profound, the power of art as a catalyst for personal growth. I, I really believe that because I it's my experience in all, many of the creative people that I've known in my life that when you indulge yourself in a personal creativity, you open up doors that you don't even know are locked. And suddenly you've exposed, you know, tentacles of opportunity for other people to attach to. And those can be anything from friendships to a long-term love relationship or maybe just a, a creative sharing, uh, authors being authors together or painters and authors you know, sharing a creative spirit together. And I really believe that the manifestation of creativity is the opportunity to advance life. And that's what Larry does in this book. When he really goes back and gets in touch with his creative spirit, with the help of all these new friends he's meeting, he starts to move his life ahead. And it also is quite cathartic. Just exploring that creativity and then putting it out there, I do believe, is quite cathartic It's, it's when you talk about personal growth. Yeah, I think you touched on something really important there. And I, I can only speak for myself as a writer, but as a writer, I mean, there's a lot of churn in the cauldron of deep self that, you know, comes out in dreams and stuff for people. But as a writer, when I when I sit down in my little world with my heated cup of coffee and, and sort of go into that fictional dream, it's a way for me to, to reach in to some of the things that confused me in life, mm-hmm. some of the things that inspired me in life, some of the pain that I've known in my life in relationships or or self-image, or whatever it might be. And it's a way to mold that into something different. In my case, it molded into words. And to try to show a, a moving image of, of a life, not as a static thing that you have to endure, but as something that, with the right opening and closing of doors, can be advanced along a path of what we all somehow in our heart want, which is to lead a meaningful life. And I think we, all of us, are quite hard on ourselves as well. So, um, yeah, there's just so much to your book. It's not a story, as you say. It's more than words on paper. It's multidimensional. It's because I took so long to write it. Mm-hmm. I, I just kept layering things into it. 
And, and I wanted it to be that way because in my, my estimation, really great literature is something that, that speaks with lots of different, yes. you know, speakers. Mm-hmm. It has different voices to different people. And as I see reviews and stuff come in, some people focus on you know, the divorce and how the divorce created all this angst for Larry and how he was able to process that. Other people will talk about what unemployment did to him and how it really disillusioned him about his life and modern life and corporations. And he's got all these snide comments about corporations. That's because there's some, a lot of internalized pain for him there. And so I really wanted all of these different nuggets to be in there. And that's why in, in some description somewhere I wrote that a line that I really love is that, you know, sometimes when when things fall apart, they fall together again. And I really wanted to use that as kind of a guiding image for myself, that both in relationships and career and all these different levels, his life kind of fell apart because of his, his own behavior. He's about wrecked his health. He has a, a, a burgeoning drinking problem. And yet, somehow, with the help of other people and loyal family, and a willingness to put his life back together, by the end of the book, he's a far different person, a more actualized person, and he's content with that. He doesn't feel like the world has to come to him. He doesn't have to be the center of the world. And I think one of the most important aspects of the book, which is easy to overlook, is that in the end, when the giant crux of, of doubt has been resolved, and I'm not going to give that away. He realizes that his, his focus in the future is not just about writing and being an artist, but it's also about inspiring that mm-hmm. in, in someone very important to him. So there's a, a serendipity that occurs mm-hmm. in the end of the book that I think opens up a whole new dimension for him that he didn't didn't envision and really couldn't imagine. But suddenly, there it is, and he has the willingness to accept that. You are a very talented writer, and this is quite a book. And the cover, well, we we can't end our conversation without talking about the cover, because the cover drew me immediately. There was something about it that I can't explain. Um, so maybe you can explain it. Yeah, I love the cover. I really did. The publisher, when we sat down to do the cover, they sent me, I, I told them, I said, we had an interview and I told them, I said, this book is about a, a guy's journey, 40 year old guy. It's a journey to, to, you know, for uh, self discovery. And I said, but it really takes place in a ping-pong method between his hometown in Mississippi and New Orleans. And the link between those two worlds is he has to cross Lake Pontchartrain each time. Each time he goes, each time he returns home. And he does it several times through the book. And so Lake Pontchartrain became the abyss of doubt and self-blindness that he had to travel over. 
and each time, and with each time he got a little bit closer to understanding the person that he that he truly was. And so I sent them a picture of, of the bridge that I used to drive across Lake Pontchartrain when I went to New Orleans, and I said, I want something in there where there's a bridge and there's a giant expanse of water, and somehow we have to capture the the idea that this is a midlife journey. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a pretty good <laughs> job with it. I agree with that. So what's next, Arthur? What are you working on now? Um, as I said, when I started writing, I had three books in mind. The first one was about, you know, the about old age and the vagaries of time as it ripples across a multi-dimensional, a multi-generational family. The second book, this the book we've been discussing, is about middle age and 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 you know the challenges and tensions of that. And the third book is about focuses largely on a child from from pre-birth. I know that sounds weird, but from pre-birth through the early stages of his life, when there is a lot of confusion, rejection, perceived rejection, he just doesn't fit. He doesn't fit in the world that he was born into. He doesn't understand the world he was born into. And there are reasons. He has a birthmark. The birthmark has created a, a real neurosis for him. He's in a fairly... I, this is once again in, in South Mississippi, it's a, a fairly staunch and, and in some ways hard environment. And he's not really a staunch and hard person. And so his struggle to get his life started. And so that is really, that will be the, the conclusion of at least those three books where I really tried to examine the different stages of life. Mm-hmm. And that book is going to be called Leaf River Days, where where I was raised in Petal, Mississippi, the river between us and the, the adjacent town of Hattiesburg is the Leaf River. We will look forward to that, for sure. Wow. Anything we missed as we begin to wrap up? I want to make sure we're not forgetting something that you wanted to highlight. No, I think I've harangued you long enough. <laughs> but it, it's a book that that that's complex, but I think accessible. Yes, say it that way. as you say, it is complex. So you described that very well. Thank you. All right, any contact information where folks can find out more about you, get copies of your book, take us wherever you want. Yeah, sure. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. My website is ArthurBirdBooks.com. My email is Arthur.Bird at Yahoo.com. Send me an email. Happy to respond. All right. Thank you. So we are speaking with Arthur Bird. Firebird Book Award winning title is Crossing Lake Pontchartrain. The website is ArthurBirdBooks.com. And as you can tell from this conversation, you are just one heck of a person. I just love the few minutes we've had together and look forward to reading more of your work and having more opportunities to talk with you. You are a blessing. Thank you so much for today. Well, thank you, Pat. It's been my pleasure.